Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 3 of Greatest Stories Under Told, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. This third installment is entitled, One Prophet Steers Another to His Death. All Scripture is Taken from the New International Version. In 2018, Christianity Today, which is a magazine and a website, conducted a so-called survey for evangelicals. It was a true-false quiz. They identified 581 evangelical respondents who had strongly agreed with the statement, quote, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe, end quote, and they were asked to respond to, among other statements, one that said, the Holy Spirit can tell me to do something which is forbidden in the Bible. Let me repeat, the Holy Spirit can tell me to do something which is forbidden in the Bible. And 21% of those 581 respondents said true, that that was acceptable. If you think that's surprising, let's go now to 1 Kings chapter 13, and I will set the stage by reminding you that the second king of Israel, who reigned about 3,200 years ago, was King David. David reigned for 40 years, and he was succeeded by his son Solomon during a time of great peace and prosperity. Solomon was labeled by God as the wisest man that ever lived. But towards the end of his 40-year reign, he fell away from God because he married foreign wives who worshipped idols and they turned his heart away. The Lord told him before he died that his successor would have most of the kingdom of Israel torn away from him because of this infidelity. And sure enough, Solomon's son, King Rehoboam, was approached by the nation of Israel and asked if he was going to have as difficult and strict and harsh of a reign as his father had had. King Rehoboam said, let me have three days to think it over and then I will respond. So the people went away and they returned three days later and King Rehoboam, following the advice of his youthful consultants, told them that he would not only be harsh, he would be much harsher than his father Solomon. And the people responded by simply turning away. So he lost 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. The nation broke in two. So the part that remained was called Judah, and it was composed of Judah and Benjamin, and he reigned over them from the capital city of Jerusalem. But the other 10 tribes were called the northern kingdom of Israel, and their first king, was a man by the name of Jeroboam who had been a detractor of Solomon's and who had been the ringleader in coming to King Rehoboam and asking him what his reign was going to be like. So when we come to 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1, we are looking at that King Jeroboam, and the main character of the story is actually a prophet that was sent by God to give him a message. 1 Kings 13.1 By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam 
was standing by the altar to make an offering. Now, Jeroboam had been worried that the people would want to get back together as one nation, and they would go down to Jerusalem where King Rehoboam was, and they would see Solomon's temple, and they would worship at Passover or something and get sentimental. And so he didn't want them going down to Jerusalem, so he made an idol and encouraged the people to worship it. At any rate, that's what was going on when this prophet was called by God to give Jeroboam a message. 1 Kings 13.2 The prophet cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. Oh, altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he couldn't pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out, according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I wouldn't go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here, for I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. So in short here, we have a prophet giving a very harsh and difficult message to this wayward King Jeroboam who is early on in his reign over northern Israel. And when he pronounces this harsh judgment, King Jeroboam is angry and he stretches out his hand and wants this prophet to be arrested. And when it freezes, he gets really scared and becomes very, very humble and begs for the prophet to pray for him. When the prophet prays for him and his hand is healed, his whole attitude changes. And now, instead of wanting him arrested and condemned, he wants to have a meal with him and give him a gift. But the prophet says something very interesting, that he has received a message from God, and we don't know why, but apparently the Lord told this prophet, when you leave there, after you give that prophecy to King Jeroboam, Take a different route home and don't eat or drink anything. Now, it was a good little way. It wasn't terribly arduous, but it was maybe 40 or 50 miles at least. And uh, it was going to be a sacrifice for him to turn down food and water. But he's very, very clear on what God has said to him. And so 
He says, even if you were to give me half your possessions, I wouldn't go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. That sounds rock solid and firm. So he's doing what he was told to do. He chooses a different route home, and he's going towards Bethel. So we continue, starting with verse 11. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, come home with me and eat. The man of God said, and here we go again, he's got this firm word from the Lord. He says, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. This is a tragedy. He's made a terrible mistake here. He's listened to a lie and he's gone against the word of the Lord. He was crystal clear earlier on what he was to do. Take a different route home and don't eat or drink. And we don't know why God told him that. We also don't know what would possess another prophet of the Lord to lie to him to try to get him to come home and eat. Maybe the prophet was jealous. Maybe he wondered why the Lord hadn't chosen him to go and give the message to King Jeroboam. Maybe the prophet had a lack of faith in real consequences if this man went against his conscience and what he knew the Lord had told him to do. Maybe this prophet was secretly very supportive of King Jeroboam and he was angered by the fact that this other prophet had challenged him in such a brave way. Maybe he was simply wanting a friend and had a selfish desire for fellowship and was enticing him home for that reason. Or maybe he had an evil desire to see this prophet judged. We'll never know. But whatever it was, his lie worked. And the prophet who had the word of the Lord went directly against it. And here we are in verse 20. While they were sitting at the table... The word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. This is also very interesting and quite strange. So here we have a man who claims to have a word from God and was clearly lying. And Torah had said that that was a capital offense. And yet the Holy Spirit is still choosing to use this man. And now God's message really does come to him. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. 
You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. That was a big deal. Honor and burial and the family tomb and a place of rest was very important to the people of that culture. So for him to pronounce that there was such a big penalty that he was not going to be able to be buried in the family tomb was a major thing. Verse 23, when the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was thrown down on the road with both the lion and the donkey standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, It's the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. Now this old prophet doesn't talk about his role in the whole thing, or how he deliberately told the man a lie so that he would come home and eat with him, but he does have enough spiritual insight left to know that what has befallen this prophet who pronounced the message of doom on King Jeroboam was the direct result of his disobedience to the revealed word of God. Verse 27, the prophet said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me, and they did so. Then he went out and found the body thrown down on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So this doesn't seem like a natural thing, a lion killing a man because he was hungry. It was simply the lion doing what had been allowed. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Oh, my brother, after burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. And the postscript to this whole story, starting in verse 33, even after this, Jeroboam didn't change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. What a strange story, and how difficult it is for us to reconcile this prophet being killed after simply going to a new friend's house for dinner. But there is so much here that is directly applicable to what is happening in our society today that we can take it as a warning and we can avoid destruction because we look and learn. How was this prophet duped? What happened that made him get off the track 
He had been so clear in his convictions when Jeroboam invited him to have some food and a reward, and he had said, No, I can't do that. The Lord has told me to eat and drink nothing until I get home and to go by a different route. But by the time he listened to this other prophet who lied to him, he was weakening. Three reasons why he was duped. First of all, the other prophet claimed to be speaking for God. Second, the message this other prophet had was very attractive, something he wanted to believe. And third, he didn't know or he had forgotten what the law said about God. So let's look at each one of those in turn. First of all, he was duped because another prophet claimed to be speaking for God. Galatians 1, 6 through 9, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So this is nothing new. It was happening clear back in the prophet's day. Then it was happening to the new church in Paul's day, and it's happening now. People come to Christ and they accept the Bible as the word of the Lord, and they start to live by it. And then someone comes along who says, oh, you know what that says there on this subject or that subject? Well, really, we're doing it different now. We've changed it now. Remember what I just read. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Peter said it very well in 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In other words, God's word is established, and we have it in black and white now. And if we believe another gospel after we accept his word and go off in some other direction and start teaching that certain things are no longer wrong or that certain things can be completely changed from the basic premises of the past, then we will find ourselves led into destruction by false prophets. 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So this is a wonderful acid test. What does your faith do with the person of Jesus Christ? Does your faith fully recognize that Jesus, who was 100% God, came down in physical fleshly form and was also 100% a human being and lived and died for us. 
Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Paul says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. I like that, speaking the truth in love. Sometimes the message that we have from God's word is a little difficult, but it is one that has been given in love and should continually be delivered in love. And we must not stray from it. So again, the prophet was duped partly because there were false prophets telling him these things. But the second thing is that he was duped because the message was so attractive. As the day wore on and he began to be hungry and thirsty, when someone said to him, oh, well, the Lord has told me that it's okay for you to have something to eat and something to drink, it got a little hard to resist. And he started thinking, boy, yes, I really could use a, a drink of water. I'm terribly thirsty. And I haven't had anything to eat in hours, and I would love to have a meal. It was attractive, and so he wanted to believe it. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You know, a sheep's appearance is very pleasing. You don't see any long, sharp, claw-like uh, appendages. You don't see any fangs coming out of their mouth, their wool is soft, and these false teachers, if they can dress themselves in that way, are attractive enough that they can lead people astray. Reminds me of the children's story, the Pied Piper, where an entire group of children was led to their death. Matthew 24, 23 through 27, Jesus goes on with his prophecies. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. So these false prophets that Jesus is talking about will have an attractive message because they can do miracles and perform great signs. Who wouldn't want to be in on that show? But he goes on to say, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So first, he was duped and led to his death because the person lied to him about the message. And second, it was because the message was oh so attractive. But third, it was because he forgot or didn't know something very basic in the law that was given to the Jews of that day. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? We have to be so careful when someone who claims to be giving good, solid Christian teaching comes along and says, 
You see this thing that we used to believe was true that comes from the Word of God? We don't believe that anymore. Times have changed. We can do it the other way now. It's okay. Beware. God's Word has not changed. The culture may have, but the basic message has not changed, and sin is still sin, and it will lead you astray, and it will hurt you. Galatians 1, 6-9 But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So what is the bottom line for this strange story from 1 Kings 13? It is a way for us to avoid being duped. Let's go through the basic foundational principles of Orthodox Christianity and statements like the Nicene Creed to what we know to be true, and let's hold tight to those truths. And let's remember that our salvation is by grace and through faith and evidenced in a life where a person is transformed and they live and work for God. And let's not be led astray by people who tell us that something else is now the case or tell us an attractive message that we would really like to hear instead of the difficult things from the Word of God. And let's remember that God does not lie and He does not change His mind. If this message has been a help to you, please pass it along.